0: Welcome to the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. In this podcast, we inspire advisors with ideas and pathways to break through barriers and build a thriving retirement income business. We will interview innovative technology developers, business leaders, and successful advisors, then help you organize and execute these ideas to move your business forward.
1: Hello, this is Jack Martin with InsureMark. I want to thank you for joining us for the Breakthrough Advisor podcast today. This is where ambitious advisors come to get fueled up on what's happening uh, in the financial services space, specifically around retirement income planning and growing a more successful and sustainable uh, 21st century business. So today we've got uh, Dr. Michael Finca joining us. Uh, He is uh, extremely renowned in our space. I'm sure you've heard him. If you haven't heard him in the past, you've certainly read him. uh, and uh, we, we couldn't be more excited to have him talking um, right now about retirement income planning. Welcome, Michael. Oh, it's great to be here, Jack. So you're out in Lubbock, Texas. So how did the, you know someone from Lubbock, Texas? You know, get into this retirement income planning business? How did that happen?
0: Yeah. So. Um... I had not done a lot of research on retirement planning specifically until I got to Texas Tech University in 2006. Uh, I led the PhD program at Texas Tech University, and I had to create a course um, that included a one-week section on retirement income planning. And that introduced me to the literature in the field of financial planning uh, on how you create an income from investments, uh, but also allowed me to review the literature in economics and finance on retirement income planning. And I'll tell you that the literature in economics is very different than the literature that I saw in financial planning, which really tended to be dominated by this 4% rule philosophy that you could simply create a stable and safe income from investments alone.
1: And so that led you down this path now where you do a, a significant amount of research each year to help all of uh, all of us financial advisors understand what we should be looking at in that space, right?
0: That's right. You know, I, when I say that um, the two streams of literature were very different and the stream of literature that was really adopted by a lot of financial advisors was this 4% rule methodology. And uh, I mean, just to, to give you an idea of how the rest of the world perceives the 4% rule methodology. I was just at a conference last week at PIMCO where I was giving a presentation on retirement income planning with Wade Fow, And our discussant was Dick Thaler, the Nobel prize-winning economist. And the first thing that Dick Thaler says, said was, well, everybody knows that the 4% rule is just dumb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a tec- technical description, right.
0: That pretty much lays out the way that an economist thinks about retirement income planning. I mean, if you think the the 4% rule says that the goal is to spend exactly the same amount every month throughout retirement adjusted by inflation, which that's what's known as consumption smoothing. That's what all economists would say really should be. The goal of retirement income planning is to maintain the same lifestyle every year. But what economists also say is that there are trade-offs, and one of the trade-offs is that if you accept investment risk, that means you also have to accept the possibility that if risk does not pay off, which... You're not compensated for taking investment risk unless there's a possibility of a downside. That's the whole foundation of investment theory is that there's a normal distribution and you've got some really good returns. You've got some really bad returns. If you get those really bad returns, you're not going to be able to spend that 4% lifestyle rule uh, every year. You're going to have to start adjusting your spending downward. So the reality is that there are trade-offs. Uh, and the other trade-off is that if you don't know how long you're going to live, then you probably ought to share or pool that risk of an unknown longevity with other retirees. It'll allow you to spend more every year with less risk of potentially running out of money. I like to call it the, the long life income club. Um, you know, The example that I give is you can either do it on your own. You can, for example, use bonds to buy a base of income for yourself between the ages of 65 and 100. So let's say you're a healthy 65 year old man. You want a 95% chance of success. So you build a bond ladder up to the age of 100. If you do that, then you can actually look at a mortality table and you can see the likelihood that you're gonna be alive every year. And if you look at the age of 97, you see that a healthy 65 year old male has a one in 10 chance of being alive at the age of 97. So if you try to do it on your own, Then you have to set aside about $25,000 today to fund $100,000 of spending at the age of 97 at today's interest rates. Now, what if you just created a long life income club with nine other dudes and you could just pool instead of each of you having to set aside $25,000 and buy a bond that matures at the age of 97? You can pull your money together. Each of you chips in 2,500 bucks, which is hardly anything. And whoever is still alive at the age of 97 gets the full $100,000. So for 2,500 bucks, I get uh, you know, a guaranteed $100,000, which means that I can take the rest of the money that I would have had to invest in bonds, that other you know $22,500, and I can spend it and enjoy my life or invest it in riskier assets. Uh, it gives me greater flexibility because I've pooled that risk of an unknown longevity with other retirees. Now, the downside is that if you don't live to the age of 97, then you subsidize someone else's retirement. But to an economist, that's not really a trade-off because you're dead, so you don't care. Uh, And every year that you were alive, you could spend more money with less risk. So, you know, this, and I, I think it's a great idea if you have, a client, for example, that's hesitating about using an annuity as part of their retirement income strategy, have them read Richard Thaler's book. Richard Thaler wrote an article in the New York Times called The Annuity Puzzle. Um, That is worth reading because it very simply explains why economists think that the failure to buy an annuity in retirement is really puzzling. There's no upside to not buying an annuity. There's only downside. There's only greater risk and lower spending. So why it is that so few people annuitize is a mystery. Now, annuities, as we know, cover a broad range of products, um, some of which you would be happy to sell to a relative, some of which you wouldn't. Uh, And I think one of the big problems is information that consumers just don't have. It's very difficult for them to wade through the information about the different types of products um, and to feel like they can trust that they're buying a product that really is going to make their retirement better.
1: So you make a really good point with respect to the uh, annuity puzzle. Well, you and Richard Thaler, great company, right? Um, the key there, I think, in what you said is this gap in understanding. So how, um, how should financial advisors be explaining, educating, informing uh, consumers you know, to help bridge that gap? What have you heard? What's your thinking about ways to accomplish that?
0: Yeah, I put together a um, brochure for an insurance company, Protective, that lays out a goal-based process, which is really the culmination of a lot of thinking that I've been doing on how to present the different options that you have when it comes to investing in investments or um, using financial products when they provide a better outcome. And the way I do that is start with what your goals are, your In retirement, there really only are two primary uses for your money that you've saved. One of them is to pass it on to other people. The other is to spend it. Uh, And a lot of retirees never actually get to that point where they acknowledge those two paths. Being very purposeful about retirement planning means giving some thought to how much of your money you want to spend, how much of your money do you want to pass on to others. Once you've established that, then you can start building a plan that is based on your goals, based on what it is that you want to do with the money. Now, remember, money is just green papers. It's it's just dots on a computer screen. The money doesn't make you happiness. The money buys stuff that gives you happiness. And you're going to have a certain number of expenses in retirement. That's your goals. Um, Some of those expenses are going to be inflexible. Some of those expenses are going to be more flexible. And You don't want to use risky assets to fund your flexible expense or your inflexible expenses. So your inflexible expenses, you want to cover with safe investments or things like annuities that will provide you with a guaranteed base of income every year. With more flexible expenses, then we can start talking about, well, how flexible do you want those expenses to be? Because you're willing to trade off a certain amount of downside in order to get the upside Uh, of being able to live better. So let me just use it as an example. You know, you may decide that going on vacations is a flexible expense and you wanna be able to take some investment risk because that might allow you to go on more vacations or better vacations later on in retirement. But it also means that when you take risk, there's a downside. So you might have to cut back in years where the market is not doing so well. Do you want to modify your asset allocation to reflect the amount of flexibility you're willing to take? And the other question is, do you want to incorporate some type of a floor even on your flexible expenses? That's what some sort of a minimum withdrawal benefit can provide is a floor on your flexible expenses, but of course there's a trade-off, right? So it limits the upside on those flexible expenses, but it gives you greater control over your lifestyle outcome. And of course, when it comes to inflexible expenses, this is where the annuity puzzle thinking really comes into play because you can estimate the cost of trying to do it on your own to the age at which you have maybe a 5% chance of outliving your money, and then compare that to how much of an annuity I would need to buy that would provide me with that same base of income, but for a lifetime. And almost always, you can get more income per dollar through the use of an annuity than you could if you tried to create the same income using bonds. So it's really... The purpose of using a goal-based approach is to get clients to recognize what some of these trade-offs are. That's how an economist would view this. You have a set of trade-offs, you have a lifestyle you want to live, everybody wants to spend more, but also everybody is afraid of having to spend less. So how can we use some kind of combination of investments and financial products? And when does it make sense to transfer some of the risks in retirement to an institution like an insurance company? Um, And in many cases, the longevity risk is just You know, it's a pure idiosyncratic risk. You get no reward for taking longevity risk. So why not transfer that risk to an institution? That's what insurance is all about. Likewise, when it comes to a minimum income benefit, you've got that same risk of longevity, um, but you've also got the risk that financial assets are going to perform very badly. And then you've got this dual risk of living a long time and experiencing lower than expected investment returns You can transfer both of those risks to the insurance company to ensure a minimum standard of living when it comes to those flexible expenses.
1: So I saw your paper on the goal-based planning uh, and it's super, uh, super useful. So I encourage all of our advisors listening to to get a copy of that. And we'll put a link to that uh, as part of this program. Um, Help me or help our listeners understand Um, how we have this conversation with consumers maybe who aren't in that overly funded situation. And by that, I mean that don't have such an abundance of retirement savings that they can say, you know, I'm going to split my money into two pots. You know, one pot's going to take care of my inflexible and one pot to take care of flexible and I can take risk and so on you know, they might not have the luxury of having that much in in assets. So how does that conversation go for you?
0: Well, you know, that's where things like becoming part of a long life income club become really essential because what that being part of the long life income club does is it allows you to get a higher safe income per dollar of savings. So just as an example, you know, rates are getting really attractive by the way. I mean, last time I checked, a 65 year old woman uh, could buy, I think $15,000 of income for just a little bit more than $200,000. Now she can either buy like a pure income annuity or she can get some sort of a lifetime income benefit on an annuity product that is relatively generous. Those rates are definitely going up. Thank goodness they're becoming more attractive. But you can also compare that to trying to do it on her own and she may have to set aside more than three hundred thousand dollars to buy that same fifteen thousand dollars of income using treasury bonds um that kind of a comparison i think is incredibly important to make like all right you know we can try to do it without we can try to do it on our own or we can buy you a product that is going to give you that extra income every year um, without the fear that you're potentially going to run out, and I think you know a lot of people say, well, they don't have enough money to annuitize. In some cases, that's true, but essentially the that means they're just going to have to live off Social Security. They really do, they're out of options. Um, but with whatever money they do have, they can help themselves generate a higher, safer income by becoming part of that Long Life Income Club.
1: So I, I think most of our listeners probably are dealing with a little bit more affluent consumer. And so for them, the question really is, so how much do I want to leave as a legacy? And this fear of long, uh, of outliving their assets seems to be driving a lot of their uh, consumption uh, uh, of their assets. And so what what they end up doing, what I've read in in the research you and, and I think David Blanchett have done, is that folks tend to underspend, because of this longevity risk. So can you can you talk a little bit about that and how our financial advisors should be uh, thinking about that and, and talking about it with their, with their clients?
0: Yeah, that's a research we did on giving people the license to spend. So in this defined contribution era, I find when I do surveys that people are just not comfortable with this idea of spending down their savings. And especially in a low return environment, In the defined contribution era, the only way they're going to be able to maintain the lifestyle that they had before they retired is to start pulling money out of savings. And once you get over that, then it becomes easier to think about using financial products as a way of doing that. But what those financial products can also do is give you that license to spend the money without the fear that you're potentially going to run out. Um, I use my mom as an example of this, that she has a pension. And, uh, she, she has no trouble spending the money every month from the pension because you know, it's never going to run out. So, you know, even if the market's down, she'll still go on vacation. Still, she'll still go out to eat with friends. She'll enjoy herself. Um, but with her 401k money, her now her IRA money, um, she doesn't want to spend it. I mean, she gets really anxious if she has to buy a new car. Uh, she doesn't feel as comfortable using the money for a lifestyle as she does, money that just arrives on a regular basis so to the extent that you can help a client build a paycheck that they feel comfortable spending you're really giving them license to get the most out of the money that they save i mean the whole purpose of saving during your working years is to live better after you retire you're sacrificing during your working years you know if you hadn't socked away so much money in your 401k you could have gone on more vacations. You could have bought a nicer car, but instead you saved it, and you get to retirement, and you don't feel comfortable spending that money. So let's put together a plan that actually makes you feel comfortable using the money that you sacrificed to save, because otherwise it was all a waste. You know, to an again to an economist, and I hate re- continually referring to economists as being overly rational, because the ones I know are not are not overly rational about every aspect of their life, but when it comes to retirement income planning, you know, their goal is to bounce the check to the undertaker. It's like to squeeze every ounce of joy that they can from the money that they've <laughs> saved. Um, you know, I'm part of a group of economists where we talk about this stuff. And uh, it really is amazing how many of them have multiple annuities, because that's their philosophy is like, I don't have to think about it. And I have the same conversations with Wade Fow and David Blanchett, And that's our philosophy, too. It's just, you know, we we don't want to have to think about it. We don't have to worry about it. Um, You know, I I already own a a deferred, non-qualified deferred income annuity, which I think is really criminally underused in financial planning uh, because you can actually accumulate wealth in a tax-deferred fashion. And especially if you're using your bond investments to fund a non-qualified annuity and you have it sit there over the course of 20 years. Um, you're gaining so much in after-tax return compared to investing in bonds in a taxable account. Um, you can buy so much more future income with it that uh, yeah, I can't imagine why they're not more frequently used. And you know what you're seeing on the market increasingly are these relatively lean accumulation annuity type products that are tremendously attractive, that really dominate bonds in a non-qualified account
1: so um that that's license to spend is i think a great takeaway from this conversation uh that's a great way to look at that i'm old enough to remember uh the jimmy carter, carter era and 14% uh, mortgages and you know lines around the gas stations but a lot of people this for a lot of people this inflation thing is a little new so how should advisors be coaching Consumers today uh, about how to think about inflation as they move into retirement?
0: Yeah, let's take a moment and talk about what's happened over the last couple of years. Inflation was always a possibility. Uh, You know, this last 30 year period that we've had of declining interest rates and flat inflation, uh, and that's really an anomaly. I mean, if you look at historical periods, 100 bucks at the beginning of retirement has declined to as low as, you know, $27 of purchasing power for someone who retired in the mid 1960s. That's a reality. That everybody knew that was a possibility and now we're living it. There is some good news, and the good news is that retirees can be more flexible than workers. Workers, they have to go to work, so they got to pay for gas, retirees can choose not to drive as often as they did before gas prices went up um you know the, a lot of the things that went up in price frankly are things that a lot of retirees could postpone like buying an, another car or um you know in, in some cases you can substitute if red meat goes up then you can substitute chicken or something else this is what's there's a whole debate about this idea of using a chained CPI for retirees because they can substitute different goods and it's actually easier for them to do those substitutions. Nonetheless, things are just more expensive for everybody, including retirees. And there are a few options for dealing with that risk. Um, you know, of course, there are the obvious ones like delaying Social Security. I am a huge fan of using strategies to delay social Security, for example, bridging strategies where you take money out of your IRA. Um, it also helps you manage required minimum distributions, but take the money out of your IRA to bridge spending in between whenever it is that you retire and the age of 70 to maximize that that inflation protected income. And it's also important to be aware that retirees have some expenses that will go up with inflation, other expenses that might not. You know, a great example of that is property taxes that are locked in for retirees. You know, I live in Texas. For Texans after a certain age, uh, you don't have the same increases in in property taxes that everybody else has. So that's a nominal expense. And you can cover those nominal expenses with um nominal investing or you know lifetime income that pays a nominal income you can cover your inflation protective expenses by delaying social security you can also try to take a greater amount of investment risk and as i mentioned before when you lock in a base of income that does allow you to take greater investment risk with the remainder of your portfolio but unless those investments are really highly correlated with inflation they may not necessarily be the best solution um, there are better investments for dealing with inflation, like, you know, treasury inflation protected securities or um, I-bonds. I have a number of I-bonds myself, as does Wade. You know, it's, it's just, a, it's a little thing to do, but it adds up after a while if you, do, if you and your spouse do it every year. Um, that's just one way of dealing with the inflation risk. But retirees can be more flexible. And frankly, I worry as much about longevity risk as I do about inflation risk.
1: So... There, there aren't a lot of annuities out there that are as responsive to inflation as Social Security. So what do you say to the folks who think, uh, you know, if I put my money into an annuity, I may get a little hedge against inflation, but not a lot?
0: Yeah, I mean, there, are, there is actually a new interesting fixed indexed annuity product um, on the marketplace that does provide an explicit inflation protection up to 5%. Um, but but basically, what the annuity can allow you to do is give yourself a base of income. It really gives you a safety net on your lifestyle that allows you to take greater investment risk, risk with the remainder of your portfolio. Uh, David Blanchett and I wrote an article a few years ago where we looked at what an optimal portfolio would look like when you have different levels of guaranteed income. And it's obvious that you can take more investment risk when you have more guaranteed income.
1: Gotcha. Well, this has been uh, super informative. Thank you, Michael. Uh, you do a great job of keeping all of us, um, you know, thinking about and understanding and and uh, enabling us to coach our clients better around all these different retirement income risks. And so, folks, um, thank you for joining us today for our Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Before we sign off, one, a couple of quick questions for our listeners, Michael. What would be a couple of things that you do when you're not talking about e- economics or retirement income planning? What do you mean,
0: like my hobbies,
1: Jack? Yeah, what would surprise people to know about Michael Fink?
0: Oh, I I have a, a need for speed, so <laughs> I I am I'm not only into things that go fast, but actually there's a racing series in here in Lubbock, Texas that I'm a part of. Um, that is, is so intense and it is so much fun. In fact, I'm going to be doing that this Sunday. Um, and it's, you know, a bunch of good old boys, but it's, it's the complete opposite of the rest of my life. And it is something that I look forward to. It's like the greatest joy that I get every month is racing against other people.
1: So what do you race?
0: I race adult go-karts. Oh, cool that is the, that is the track that we have. We don't have like a road racing track. So I've done that in the past, but I'll tell you, there is nothing, there's no racing that's as intense as that. I mean, you're going 50 miles an hour. You're in these little tiny carts and these, it's competitive. You know, this whole rubbing is racing thing is definitely the philosophy (laughs) when it comes to, uh, to, to racing and it's it's uh, you know I do a lot of other racing like like autocross and things like that but uh, nothing comes close to this when it comes to intensity.
1: Wow. Very cool. That is surprising to learn. Well, that's terrific. Thanks again, folks, for joining us for the Breakthrough Advisor podcast. We look forward to hearing you on our next episode. Uh, Be sure to check out the Breakthrough Advisor podcast page. We've got a number of uh, thought leaders like Michael who have joined us uh, in the recent past that you'll, you'll be really interested to hear. So thank you all very much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the
0: Breakthrough Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InsureMark. The content
1: has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.